Welcome to One Move at a Time, the U.S. chess podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area, one move at a time. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. chess podcasts, which include cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, in which Chess Life editor John Hartman goes more in-depth with each month's cover story, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Karyanis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Just Life Online at uschess.org, or by subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now, let's welcome our guest to this month's podcast. Welcome to the April edition of One Move at a Time. Our guest today is David Yada, joining us via Skype from San Sebastian, Spain. He has long been connected to the chess world, and in 1999, he became a professional chess journalist, publishing contributions in all the world's major chess magazines, as well as in El Mundo, Spain's second largest newspaper. His photos have often appeared in Chess Life, and he has taken chess photos around the world in such exotic locations as Shanghai, Las Vegas, New York, Moscow, Istanbul, and Zurich. He has a book of his photos called The Thinkers that you can purchase from U.S. Chess Sales at uscfsales.com. In addition to journalism, David has been involved in the organizational side of chess, frequently taking on the role of chief press officer. With a background in journalism, public relations, online marketing, and social media, coupled with his extensive chess experience, he was a natural to become FIDE's chief marketing and communications officer. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you. So I always like to start this with, just tell us about how you got started in chess. Well, actually it was by poor chance, I would say, I, because I come from a very small place, almost a village or a small town, where there is no chess club, no chess teacher. So it was just by poor coincidence. I think it was during the Kasparov Carp of Mass that I saw um, a chess picture in the newspaper over the match. And I was very curious because for me, it was kind of shocking to see two grown-ups looking at these small intriguing chess pieces on the board, you know? And I was wondering, what is this game? It sounds like something really very interesting. And then a few days later in, in class, one of my school teachers just taught us how to, how to move the pieces, but nothing else. I mean, there, there was not a proper chess teacher or anything, but still I got very enthusiastic and I taught uh, my parents how to play and the rest of my family. And very soon I was teaching other children how to play, but uh, always with many limitations, you know, because I was from this small place with no chess culture and uh, things went very little by little, very slow. And you've continued this te- teaching um, into the next generation. I believe you have two daughters that you've, you're have you teaching chess? Yes, they're learning chess for a while, little by little, because I don't have much time. And also, I don't want to get them too much into chess. There are many other things, and there is already enough chess in, in the house. But of course, I, I like them to play chess and get to know chess well enough to enjoy the game. 
Mm-hmm. I don't want them to be chess players, but I, I want them to be able to, to enjoy it. Well, so I'm curious when you say that, uh, that you don't want them to become chess players. I, I assume when you say that, you mean tournament players. And, and what, what's your reasoning? Well, I think you you have to have some variety in your life. And we already have enough chess at home, you know, chess books everywhere. We're talking chess. We go to chess tournaments. On my holidays, I go to some chess tournaments and I bring them with me sometimes. So it is maybe a bit too much, and I I will not really like that they get to compete. Uh, the little one wants to play a tournament. Isel is her name. She's now six and a half years old, and she told me that she wants to compete, that she wants to go to the chess club and, and try. But in general, I, I don't see them competing, and it will be a bit too much. Mm-hmm. It, interesting. I have a, a slightly similar situation in, in that I did not raise my kids to become uh, tournament chess players, but my daughter, who's in college now, ended up getting a part-time job uh, teaching chess for a, a local chess teaching company. So uh, if, if they're around it enough, it, it, maybe it's a little bit in the blood. Could be. I don't know. Um, I think they, they got some... Um, they got some interesting chess tournaments when they realized that if they win the local championship, then they will go to the nationals and then to international tournaments and they could travel around because they also like traveling mm-hmm. like me. And of course, international tournaments brings us to your current job with, with FIDE. Uh, d- describe what the duties are of FIDE's chief marketing and communications officer. Well, to begin with, I'm trying to bring to feed us on commercial approach. And um, we try that our tournaments or events and our activities can be of interest to the media and to, um, to the sponsors. Uh, we need to think less as chess officers and a bit more like business people. That is one of the things that I would like to, to contribute with uh, to the FIDE team. And also my experience and my background working on, on with media and on PR, uh, doing a little bit of everything because I've done many different things and not only in chess, but also in other sports. I was connected with football and, and tennis. So I think this experience is valuable. And we don't have that many people in the team with, uh, with an experience like this. It's interesting that you mentioned tennis. I, I didn't realize uh, that part of your, your background. And it's become a very recurring theme on this show is how often people have tennis as one of their interests. Yeah, it's interesting. That there are two of the most um, psychological sports that you will find are chess and tennis. It is one-to-one. Um, the confidence during a tennis match goes up and down in a very similar way that it does during a chess match. So, yeah, I, I can totally understand. Also, basketball players are very interested in chess and chess players are very interested in basket, I will say. Mm-hmm. But tennis, mm-hmm. tennis is the one that I see more similar to, to chess and the psychology and, and many other things. Now, one thing I'm curious about as your position as a FIDE insider is how other federations around the world, especially the non-European ones, view the U.S. Chess Federation? Because, you know, certainly we think of ourselves here in the United States as one of the most important federations in in the world, uh, just by virtue of being in one of the largest nations in the world. Um, But I I wonder, for for other, you know, maybe like smaller African countries, FIDE is probably the the most important part of, of their organizations and how 
how is the U.S. Chess Federation generally viewed outside of uh, outside of the U.S.? Well, I think it is safe to say that it's regarded as one of the most professional ones. U.S. Chess Federation, Russian Chess Federation, um, also the French Chess Federation. Uh, I would say these three are the, the ones that you could say the, they have a lot of activity and they have pro- professionals involved. So in general, the perception is really good. In particular, I, I like very much what Jennifer is doing. I'm a big fan and I'm following all the activities that she does with uh, to promote uh, women's chess. It is very interesting. It is a reference, I will say. <clears throat> and yeah, it is always interesting what, what you do. You have quite a few projects that I enjoyed very much, like when you decide to put all your archive of um, chess life online, available for anybody. Yeah, so I will say that in general, the U.S. Chess Federation is a reference. We don't have that many federations that are working in a professional way with professionals involved and also with uh, resources. That is very important. It comes together, you know, when when you have professionals, you have resources. Yeah, and I I should add that uh, for anybody that may not know, the Jennifer that you refer to is our own Jennifer Shahadi, our Women's Program Director at U.S. Chess, and she does one of our sister podcasts here, Ladies' Night, that is available on the third Tuesday of every every month. Um, so, David, what are there any smaller FIDE nations that are doing particularly interesting things that um, have caught your attention? Well, I try to monitor all the activity, you know, and we have this body within FIDE that is the Planning and Development Commission that is supporting federations and encouraging them to to become a bit more professional in the way they they do things. Um, Yes, for instance, um, recently I... I have been paying attention to Senegal. In Senegal, there is a small group of people, very small, but they are doing some interesting things. They are doing videos. They are connecting with the media. They have um, a marketing person, some actually some girl from Russia who moved there. I, I don't know what are the reasons, but they they moved to Senegal. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, and they are doing together a lot of things. It is good to exchange ideas. This is something that I try to do with the FIDE newsletter. I try to cover these uh, original initiatives from different federations from all over the world as a way to exchange ideas and encourage people to try new things. I think most people, when they think FIDE, they, they just think world championships and all the various uh, guises, everything from various junior and uh, Pan-American type events all the way through to the world championship it, itself. What what are some of the initiatives and programs that people uh, that FIDE does that people may not think of uh, when they first hear FIDE? Well, I think so far FIDE has been too focused on on top competitions, on the World Championships, the Junior World Championships as well. But um, we didn't do enough uh, social activities until very recently. Now things are changing. Last summer. Uh, we launched the online Olympiad that, that was followed by the Chess Olympiad for people with disabilities. It was a um, very important step. And I think people realized that we should go in that direction much more. And we are developing some similar projects now. We, we had a seminar uh, last weekend on how chess can help people with autism. 
Um, we are working now in a testing prisons project. So, um, uh, all in all, we are taking this direction. Chess has a lot of social value. It can be life-changing for many people, and this is something that we need to, to exploit. And also, it is something that inter interests the, the sponsors and the authority. Um, and you mentioned the one of the online events that FIDE held. Uh, what has FIDE's general response been to, to the pandemic this year and online play in general um, and, and, and also fair play initiatives? Well, fair play is a very delicate topic. It is something really difficult. Uh, it was the biggest challenge so far this year. I mean, in, in anything else, we adapt very quickly to organize online competitions, to run different um, tournaments with a um, large number of participants from different time zones. We have done many things, we have done well, but the, um, the problem is cheating. I and mean, this is uh, very, something very disappointing, I have to say, that is so common and you hold some tournament online and you cannot announce the winner because first you need to do all these check-ins. You need to announce and confirm the winner and the, the next day to be safe. It is the, the biggest challenge by, by far. At US Chess, we have um, issued official endorsements of the uh, fair play methodologies for chess.com Lee Chess and Internet Chess Club. Has FIDE done anything similar? Well, not exactly. Um, when we have some official competition on any platform, we, let's say, make our own decision and we follow our own procedure because we have a dedicated panel. We have the Fair Play Commission. And let's say we have a bigger responsibility at FIDE. Uh, so we try to be even more cautious than, than any online platform. We rely on them. And we think they are doing a very good job in something as difficult as, uh, as this, but um, we need to have our own procedure and, and be even more careful than, than they are. People want to know more about um, what we take into consideration when, when we examine this uh, cases like the, the one we had during the World University. Um, the problem is that on this topic, we cannot really disclose all the procedure and all we have and all we are looking for and all that we find suspicious. You know, sometimes when you give away too much information, you make things easier for whoever wants to cheat, to cheat and, and more difficult to yourself. Well, before we leave uh, our discussion about uh, the FIDE aspect of your life, you know, as the world starts to open up again and we're, we're looking forward to over the board chess. Uh, tell our listeners about what's coming up with the conclusion of the candidates match and what is planned for the world championship. Well, the candidates, um, something funny about the candidates is, is all of the sudden, this is the longest sporting event in the in history because <laughs> it was interrupted more than one year ago and it's going to take almost 13 months to complete. I was checking with some journalists if they know any other case of some event that got interrupted by the war and then continued where it was. I don't think there is any precedent to this. And I was even considering to apply for the record Guinness, you know? 
Oh, that's a that's an interesting idea. I, I wonder if they would accept that as an official world record, though. <laughs> I think so. I think we will have chances. Anyway, it was a very exciting event, the first half, and I am confident that the second half is going to be even more exciting. Um, the media interest is not comparable to the previous edition of the candidates. It is something uh, already in 2020, uh, since this was the only sporting event that it was still going on, we got a lot of attention. Um, after chess became so trendy worldwide, now we can expect that the the, the media will be covering this uh, this tournament as we would like. And what are the dates and where is it being held? Well, the, um, the candidates is being held in Yekaterinburg, that I believe is the fourth largest city in, in Russia. And the, the tournament will be resumed from the eighth round and will take place from April 19 to April 28. And then the, um, when the winner is identified, they will be playing Magnus Carlsen where and when? The winner will be playing Magnus Carlsen for the World Championship title in Dubai as part of the World Expo in Dubai from November 24 to December 16. It's nice to have all this to look forward to. Yeah, and I'm very excited about the prospects for the World Championship match. I think the venue is going to be amazing. I have been there a couple of weeks ago. I, I just came back from, from Dubai from the first inspection trip. And I know that world expos are not so popular in the US, but here in Europe and the rest of the world, uh, it is something really big, you know? You, you have all the, all the countries in the world, they have a pavilion. <clears throat> and the topic for this year at Expo in, in Dubai is about intelligence and planning for the future. So just fits really very well in, in this event. Mm-hmm. And given that the candidates match is, is only a couple of weeks away and there are problems with you know COVID surges uh, in various pockets of the world, is, is there any concern that it may have to be further delayed? I don't think so because we already have one year experience with smaller events. You cannot organize something really massive like the Chess Olympiad right now pretty much anywhere in the world, it wouldn't be possible. But something like the candidates with only eight uh, players and working with the minimum staff on, on the venue, um, Norway Chess, White Can See, and, and even some other sports like the Australian Open, they already show you that you can organize a small event and, and do it on the, on the safe side. So I'm not really concerned about the having any last-minute problem, the event having to be postponed again or, or anything. I think we are pretty safe. I <clears throat> I also have a lot of faith in the vaccination. I, I think it is progressing quite fast, I will say. Most of the players have been vaccinated, I have to say. Of course, we cannot say who got the vaccine or not, but we talked to them and and this is also important that they, they can not only be there, but they can be there feeling confident and safe. Will you be attending the candidates in person yourself? I don't think so, because um, I was planning to, but as I said, I think it is better to keep it to the minimum and not have um, many staff in, in the venue. So we're going to take a right turn here and start talking about chess photography, which is 
really how you've become chess world famous uh, for for your photography. Many consider you the premier chess photographer, although there are uh, a number of other you know excellent chess photographers as well. Um, how did you start in photography? Uh, just generally? Well, I used to be a journalist and my only ambition with photography initially was that I would like to um, be able to illustrate my own my own writings, you know? If I did an interview, it would be nice if I could also take the photos. Because back in the day, I would go to interview someone and I would have to bring a photographer with me. It was the, the way things worked uh, 20 years ago. Now, if you want to be a journalist, you have to be a one one man band. You have to take the photos, film, and and everything by yourself, you know, and, and even post it by yourself. So I always thought that I would like to learn photography. I didn't I didn't do it when I was still a journalist, but then when I was already away from all this world and I was working as a business person. I decided to invest some little money in getting a nice camera and taking a couple of courses and learning how to take photos. I imagine that there's some camera geeks out there that are curious. Could you, can you describe uh, the technical aspects of the, cam- the camera and other equipment that you use when you're at an event? Yeah, well, I, I use a, a Nikon full frame. I think the full frame cameras make a big difference. The frame is what used to be the film, and the bigger the film or the bigger the, the frame, the more detail you can get in the in the pictures, you know. And also, they work better with low lighting. One of the problems that we have in in chess tournaments is that you cannot use flash, and normally you don't have you're working indoors and you don't have uh, too much uh, light. <clears throat> so it is important to have a full frame camera, and also to have good lenses with um, big glasses, big aperture. Now, a lot of people uh, don't have that kind of equipment and, and don't want to invest in it. But, we, you know, here at uh, US Chess, we receive a ton of photos from, from people. And, you know, most of them are really not usable. Most of them, although we can sometimes get very good cell phone photos, you know, some of the problems you mentioned about lighting and focus are, are are constant. Can you give some advice to people who, let's say they only have a good cell phone camera and they're wanting to take some photos at a chess event? Uh, what are some tips you might be able to offer them to, to take good photos? Well, the, um, the first advice I will give them is to get close. Get close to the players, get close to the, to the board. Um, when you think you are already there, some famous photographer, I don't remember who, but he used to say that when you think you are there, take even one more step and then take the photo. So get close, mm, get down. Normally people take the photos from above. You put the, the cell phone at the same level as your camera and you point down at the players. That doesn't look good. If you want to get the chessboard, maybe if you're interested in the position, but if you want to get a nice photo, a nice good looking photo, you have to go down and be at the same level as the face of the players or even from underneath. That is the, the best angle because normally the, the chess players are looking down at the chess board. If you want to see the, the, the face, the, the eyes, the, the expressions, you need to go down and shoot from, from below. And as you've covered chess events around the world, what, what are some of your favorite memories from these events? Well, by far, my favorite uh, event is the Chess Olympiad. It is not very often that you have the opportunity to be under the same roof with people from every country in the world, you know? 
and to be there and to be there as a, as a photographer, it is really a, a privilege. Sometimes I, I tell some fellow photographers that I have taken photos of people from every country in the world and they, they don't believe me. They, they, they think that it's something amazing. And yeah, if you think about this, it actually is. You have the opportunity to meet people from, from every country in, in the world and to have something in common with them. And who, who have been some of your favorite photographic subjects? Oh, there are many. There are many. There are many people who are very expressive or intriguing. Grischuk is one of them. Grischuk, he he looks very interesting in, in photos. Um, there are quite a few. You know, it will be difficult to to pick one. But from the top guys, I also like very much Nakamura. He's very expressive. Aronian as well, even though he has glasses. Uh, you can still see his eyes, and he's an interesting guy, and he always dressed very colorful. So, yeah, Aronian is a, a very interesting subject, but there are many, there are many, and, you know, it would be it would be difficult to pick just one. Well, is there anybody who, whenever they see you coming with their camera, they, they turn and run because they just don't want their picture taken? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I know you're very politic, and you're probably in a job where you can't answer this question, but we want names. Yeah, <laughs> I could give you at least three, four names very quickly. You know, people who, they, they have nothing against me, maybe, I hope so, but they just don't like to be on photos, you know, so they prefer to look down, to look somewhere else, or they even take a little walk when they see you around. In the U.S., we normally have a policy that uh, photos can only be taken for like the first 10 minutes of a round. Does that generally hold true for international events? Or when you're the chief press officer, are you allowed to take photos throughout the round? This is something that I was, I have been fighting to change it. And now that I am inside of FIDE, I managed to change it finally. <laughs> I think uh, this made sense in the past when you needed to use flash or when the cameras will make a noise when shooting a photo. But now cameras, they don't really need flash anymore to take a decent photo because they are technically very good. You, they also don't make any noise. They are completely silent. They have a silent shooter. So a photographer can be standing next to the table where they are playing the World Championship match, and he will not make any sound. So there is no reason to kick the official photographer from the venue. You, you must have one person at the venue taking photos during the entire game. Just imagine during, during Wimbledon... Uh, in the, in the final point in Wimbledon, you tell the photographers that they cannot take photos because the, the players, they need to concentrate, you know, and, and they have to return a ball that is coming to them really, very fast. They, they really need to be very focused, even more than, than in chess. Imagine telling the photographers that they cannot take a photo of Federer as, as he's serving mm-hmm. to win Wimbledon. Um, does, does that policy of wanting to take photos or allowing people to take photos throughout the round, would, would you say that that would work at a junior event as well when you're working with kids, since kids are so much more easily distracted? Mm. What this is that you must have one photographer, at least one photographer who is a professional, and you must allow this person to stay in the venue during the, during the entire round. Also, professionals normally use a long telephoto lens, so you don't need to be that close to the players. You can take some distance. This is something that I, I do 
all the time. I use a very long telephoto lens, the, the kind of lens that you will take on a safari. But I do it because I, I know that using this lens, I will not distract the players. Also, they will not be thinking of me. They will not even realize that I'm there, so they will be acting very natural. I will see their natural expressions, and, and I will get much better photos this, this way. But with children, I don't think it is really a problem that they get distracted. You know, children are usually, they, they split their attention all the time. I'm curious about Queen's Gambit and it's it, any uh, residual effects on FIDE. Uh, here in the U.S., of course, uh, it, it was a, a, a major issue. You know, we're almost half a year removed from when it first aired. But I, in my role as a communications officer at U.S. Chess, I received more press inquiries regarding the Queen's Gambit in the last five months than I did in my previous 15 years at this organization rolled together. Have you had, did you have a similar experience with the international press? Well, um, I remember the, the Queen's Gambit was aired on Friday and Monday morning I knew that something was coming when I saw that I had like 15, 20 emails Monday morning from the media. Normally, every week I chase journalists, you know, it is part of my day-by-day work. I I contact five, seven journalists to pitch some ideas at them, to propose some, some articles on chess. But in the last week of October, November and December, I was getting like 10, 15 inquiries every day, every single day, one after another. Um, I, I didn't get any day off until January, more or less. It was completely crazy. It was completely overloaded with uh, so many people asking me for the contact of the national women's champion or asking me to get in touch with, uh, to get them in touch with Judith Polgar or things like that. You know, all the time they were asking for, for interviews and they, they wanted to know the, <clears throat> the most important female players and, so many, so many questions, so many, so much curiosity about chess. It was, I actually enjoyed it. It was a lot of work. Um, it will, it will take some time before I recover. Holiday, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you sometimes you have the feeling that this is your opportunity and you have to make the most of it while it lasts. And I think we we did our best, and it was a very nice, very nice and, and tiring period. Was there a one country in particular that that there was really an explosion of interest in chess that we didn't see before? I wouldn't see any country in particular. You know, it was pretty much from everywhere, from really small places, really small magazines and newspapers that they wanted to interview the local champion and they didn't even know uh, who he was or who she was. So it was actually something really global. One of the interesting little tidbits I picked up about you as I was researching for this show is that you spent time as a journalist in Iraq. When was that? And uh, I, I imagine there may be some interesting stories coming from this. Well, yeah, quite a few. Actually, I was planning to go to Iraq to make a reportage on the embargo, on the U.S. embargo. Um, and I was planning to go there on September 19th. That is eight days after the terrorist attack in New York. Uh, obviously, we had to postpone the trip uh, for a few months because no one knew what would happen in Iraq. Uh, as a result, Iraq was involved or not in the in the attack in New York. So in the end, we went in January 
a few months later. And it was already not so much about the embargo, but about the war that was coming. You know, I was photographing buildings that I know that they, uh, they will be a target. I was visiting hospitals, and all in all, it was a very interesting story. But I decided to quit journalist uh, afterwards. When you were in Iraq, was this as a freelance journalist, or was it on assignment for a particular outlet? No, it was as a freelance. And I realized things like uh, something I mentioned before. I realized that I will be... I will need to take the photos and write the story by myself. You will need to do everything. Um, the, I realized that the, the future of, of journalism was a bit worrisome, I have to say, especially as a freelance. Uh, yeah, worrisome on many levels, uh, um, not just the people shooting at you aspect. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm, I'm curious, before we, we, we close out, is there anything that uh, else that you're interested in, in discussing that you want our viewers to or our listeners to know about? Well, um, I will say that it is very important for us, for FIDE, I'm, I'm now speaking on behalf of FIDE, to get ideas, get feedback, get proposals. Uh, I think in the past, FIDE was not, uh, let's say, participative enough. It was a much more close group. And now we try to be much more open and, and get feedback, and get proposals and, and reach out to the chess community. Um, also, there is all this trend now. There are so many beautiful uh, chess podcasts and, and, and streamers and YouTube channels and so much activity that we would like to, to be involved and help and promote. Something we have been doing for the for the last few weeks, for instance, is to promote small streamers. There are many, many people launching a new channel. And yeah, the big guys, they already have the, their place. They, they already have the sponsors. But we also want to promote the, the, the small ones. So you, you indicated that you're interested in feedback at, at FIDE. If, if people have information they want to share with you, how can they reach you? Well, we have a dedicated email, socialmedia at fide.com, where you can send proposals, stories, experiences, uh, a nice photo, anything that you think it is worth uh, sharing and something that can help to promote chess and to present chess under a good light. Uh, this is the place to go, socialmedia at fide.com. Well, David, this has been a wide-ranging and, and interesting discussion. Um, uh, listeners, you can see some samples of David's work on our uh, on on the show notes for this episode at uschess.org. And you know, David, you've been doing some great work at FIDE. Uh, you've certainly made them more visible than they they were in the past, uh, especially here in the U.S. So, thank you for the work you've been doing there, and thank you for joining us on this April edition of One Move at a Time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this edition of One Move at a Time, which always drops on the second Tuesday of each month. Our theme music was composed by National Master Alex King of Memphis, Tennessee. Our podcasts are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Our sister podcasts at U.S. Chess are Cover Stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, Ladies' Night, hosted by Women's Program Director Jennifer Shahadi on the third Tuesday of each month, and on the fourth Tuesday, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant National Events Director Pete Karianis. 
I hope that you have learned something of value that you can now use to help build chess in your own community. We'll be back next month with another Chess World personality who is helping us advance our mission statement to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess.